as we get into this passage, uh, let me set the scene for y'all. Um, this is a story that I got to know through, through a sports connection. It's, it's a, a family with a husband, a wife, and four kids. Um, the husband and wife have their last daughter, um, their, their oldest and fourth daughter. Um, and through some blood tests, they, they find out that their daughter has a rare blood disease called Fanconi anemia. Um, and this disease, um, it has, comes with some side effects, and that was why they got her tested. But this disease makes you extremely susceptible to other diseases, um, especially cancer. And it almost always requires a bone marrow transplant. And for those of y'all who don't know, a bone marrow transplant is, is a pretty invasive like, thing. It, it's a big surgery for the donor as well as the recipient. Um, and it's pretty low odds when it comes down to like, overall health and like, extending um, your life. And so it's really hard to find a match. And then once you find a match, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but so as this daughter got older, she was around four or five, her health continued to decline. Um, and doctors suggested usually it's your sibling that tests positive as a, a match. That's how it usually happens. Your parents are usually not a match, and the donor portal is pretty tough. Um, and so they get on down the line, and they're like, man, this girl really needs a, a, a donor. And so they come to the parents. They're like, hey, there's a very small possibility that y'all could match. Um, would y'all want to get tested? So they get tested. And later that month, the doctors call the parents to tell them that they have good news um, and that they need to share this news with them in person. Imagine that scene. Imagine the car ride to the doc doctor's office. At this point, you've exhausted all avenues, everything possible to try and help your daughter. Imagine the feelings that you would have in that car ride. You'd feel fearful, anticipating. You'd be anxious. You'd be hopeful. Um, all of those things would be going through your head. And that's what so many of us feel like uh, when we think about our lives here on earth, especially when we're going through difficult things. We know that life is unpredictable and that anything can happen, but we don't think that something like this will happen to us. But then when it does, we don't know how to react. Put yourself in the shoes of, of this family. Imagine you walk into the doctor's office and he says the results are in on your blood test and we have good news for you. You're a match. But your daughter, we don't have a surgeon who's able to perform the surgery at this time. We have a match, but we don't have what we need in order to fix the problem. What would your reaction be to that news? It would be to immediately search for a surgeon. Who can help us? Because we've got good news, but there's nothing that we can do without a surgeon. That's the scene that we have here in Revelation 5. From John's perspective, he knows that God is in control, and he knows that, that Jesus died for his, his soul because, because of what he's going through on earth. But he's forgetting who is the author of this book in this chapter that Reed taught on last week, we saw the beauty and the glory that John sees and the power and strength of the Lord. John sees our Lord seated in heaven, and he, and he knows that this is a vision looking into the future, but John is still wondering, what does all this mean? And that's where we pick up in our passage today in chapter 5, wondering what all this means. And so we're going to read Revelation 5, um, so if y'all want to turn to your your Bible, or look in the bulletin. We're in Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word that is good and true and applicable to our lives. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide us as we dive into this scripture today. Lord, I pray all this in your name. Amen. So in this passage, we're given a snapshot into the future, and John, John makes that clear in the first chapter of Revelation, and Reed has, has talked about that. Um, But we see two major things in Revelation 5 that I want to explore. Number one, we see a scroll. And then number two, we see a lamb. And we're going to dive into that today. But when you think about all of human history, what are some big moments that stick out to you as moments or days that people will never forget? Maybe it's the 2018 National Championship. Maybe it was the day that your niece or your nephew was born. Maybe it was something bad, like the day a loved one died. Or maybe it's the day your parents told you that they were getting a divorce. All of these moments are periods of time that that can be marked on a timeline, and, and they're so important to us in the here and now. But what are these moments in the grand scheme of things when it comes to eternity? If we graph these things on a timeline, our lives here on earth would be so short in the grand scheme of things. But with that said, Our God shows us how important our lives truly are. Just because they're small and short in the grand scheme of things, God also wants your life here on earth to mean something. And in order for our lives to be lived to the full, we need to look at things with eternity in mind, with the big picture in mind. So let's look look across history and scripture and and see what what we have to see. So we've got, we start at the beginning, we've got Adam and Eve, 
Then we've got Joseph's journey through prison and then to royalty. We have Daniel in the lion's den. We have, going back in the timeline, Abraham and his many sons and daughters. Moses in the burning bush. We see the miracles of Elisha and Elijah. I still can't figure out how to say those two names together. Um, that was a common theme last, last year. Um, we see, but we see Peter walking on water and denying Jesus three times. We see Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Each of these things God has put planned from the very beginning and would be marked as like really significant on the timeline of human history. An exercise that I did when I was in college, I went through my entire life and, and wrote down each of the significant things that have happened and in my life, and it, it gave me such a good understanding of what makes me unique. And that's an exercise I would encourage you to do yourself. Um, but we learn so much about our lives through the events and the moments that shape us. And the idea that I want to convey to you today is, is that our lives matter and the things that we're going through matter. But this passage shows us that eternity matters too. That big picture matters too. We need to live our lives in light of what is to come. So let's look at, look at that in our first point in our passage, the scroll. During this time period, scrolls were super important to people. They were used to write significant things down. Um, not just anyone had a scroll, but especially not one that was, like we see in verse 2, written on both sides. This was not typical during this time. It was very hard to do from a scribal perspective. I just took a class on New Testament canon, so this is probably more information than you want. Um, but they give you a, a scroll is a piece of papyrus um, or paper. Um, Bet y'all didn't know that. Um, a piece of papyrus um, that is written on, and it's usually backed by a piece of leather or something hard that they're able to write on. So it's very rare for a piece of a scroll to be written on on both sides. Um, so that means that there was a significant amount of time and energy put into the writing of this scroll. We've seen scrolls at other points in history, um, in Daniel and Exodus, and they're often pointing towards something significant um, or something important for the time, like a treaty or a contract. Um, and in this case, John believes and knows that the scroll contains a plan for what's to come. This scroll contains God's plan for everything. We see the importance of the scroll in the imagery here because the, the scroll was resting in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Reed talked about last week how, how the throne is never vacated. And God has always been seated on the throne, and he always will be. We see a mighty angel calling for help, yearning for someone who's able to open this scroll, but no one's worthy. And it's, that's something that I want to take a closer look at. When John realizes that the scroll can't be open, in verse 4 it says, he began to weep loudly. And this is not just John crying but John is telling us that he's weeping loudly. One thing that I think is cool, that at least John was self-aware. He was like able to say in, in the Bible that he knows is going to be read for a long time, that he was weeping loudly. So he's, he's sensitive. He knows he's confident in himself. Um, but weeping also begs the question, what is John weeping about? So let's put ourselves in John's shoes here. John is living in the first century during the reign of some really bad kings um, and some Roman leaders who would kill anyone who was suspected of being a Christian. John himself is currently on an island um, 
in the middle of nowhere because he was a Christian. He'd been banished for believing that Scripture was God's Word. And it's believed that John may have been the only disciple who wasn't martyred and killed for his beliefs. And so think about that. John has watched 12 of his closest friends, including Jesus, be beheaded, hung on a cross, hung on a cross upside down as we know Peter was, drowned and burned, all of these things. And he watched this happen. And when he realizes the scroll can't be opened, he says, for what purpose did I watch all of these things happen? So, so the, that the good news would be locked up in an unopenable scroll. And it's at that moment that, that John begins to weep and he begins to doubt. He's thinking that if God's plan can't be executed and the scroll can't be opened, then what's the point? And I think it's a fair reason for him to be weeping. So many of us live in a bubble, myself included. We live in Clemson, South Carolina, where the worst thing we have to deal with is Clemson University parking ticket people, which is a bad thing. Um, I've felt the wrath of, of their glaring eyes. Um, but I'm kidding. But, but seriously, what is our biggest concern? What are we really thinking about? I know that many of y'all have experienced things that are so much worse than that. We see problems like sexual abuse and, and human trafficking as a, a real and present danger in our world. I even experienced the grief of a, a suicide just this past week. A friend of mine from high school, um, I got a call on Thursday that he had taken his own life. He had a, a, a son and a wife, and, and it, it really struck me. It, it hit me pretty hard on Thursday. Um, I was asking myself the question, like, why? And what is wrong with our world? That's the question that John's asking in our passage. John so desperately wants this scroll to be open because he knows the importance of God being in control. He so desperately wants God's plan to play out that he begins uncontrollably weeping. And at least, John, like I said earlier, John's showing his feelings. Some of us, when things get hard, we shove reality down and we don't want to feel anything. Even when we have bad news, we, we hide that from anybody that we can. Think back to the illustration I talked about at the beginning of this message. What if a doctor told you that they, they had the solution to your son or your daughter's illness, but there was no one to perform the procedure? How would you react? Probably similar to John, frustrated, sad. John is afraid that God's plan won't happen. And, and that's the problem, is, is that John is... is it, it wouldn't be an issue if it wasn't God he was talking about. The problem with this scenario is that God is that person. God is the one with the plan. He is the only one that can open the scroll, and John has lost touch, of, touch with that. Where are you trying to control God in your life? Where are you feeling the temptation to take matters into your own hands? Maybe it's financial security, grades, relationships, just to name a few, but what is the answer? And that's where the answer is in our second point, in the lamb or the lion. Um, how are things going to play out? Let's look, and let's look, so let's look at that second point, the lamb. John is told by a fellow believer um, or elder in heaven in verse 5 to weep no more. He says, behold, the lion of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and is able to open the scroll. The elder wanted John to remember for himself the truth of the gospel before he saw it in a vision. That's something that we see a lot in Revelation. We, see, we hear things and then we see things. I think 
the, the author wants us to get a perspective of, of hearing things and seeing things and how important both of those perspectives are. And so John hears that God, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has come to rescue us. But then what does he turn around and see? He doesn't see a lion, but he sees a lamb. And when I say a lamb, I want you to get kind of a picture in your head. This is not a, a sheep, a fluffy, big, kind of nasty sheep, um, or like a 400-pound mountain goat on the side of a mountain. I just imagine like sitting like this. Uh, <laughs> I, I told you earlier I love animals, and, and that was what I thought when I, I thought about it. Um, y'all probably don't think at all like that. Um, <laughs> but, but no, what John sees is a, a tiny little lamb, one that like a middle schooler or an elementary schooler could hold in his hands. But not just a lamb, he sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And that's the picture that I want you to get here. The, this is the lamb that has been tortured and, and killed on a cross, but yet is still standing. This is the same God who in the last chapter is seated on the throne and is surrounded by all that cherubim, as Reed, Reed said that probably 50 times last week, cherubim. I don't know if he was kidding. Um, but surrounded by all that beautiful cherubim, um, who is holy. Like John can't even look at God how mighty he is. He can't look him in the eyes. That's the same God who we see as a slain lamb. One thing that I want to point out is, is our God is not just about freedom in Christ, but our God is about justice as well. God is, our God is about making things right in the world. We see, I, I talked about those injustices earlier. Um, those people who unrepentantly kill and hurt people will be judged one day. And just like you and I will also be judged. But those who are in Christ, Jesus has taken our place and given us his righteousness. We can have peace that the injustices of this world will one day be made right. And I think we can celebrate in that. Um, there's so many injustices in our world, but our God is trying to tell us something more. When I read this passage, I'm tempted to, to just lump it in with the, the story of the cross, which would not be completely wrong or a bad thing, because this passage is about Jesus. Um, but there's so much more to this passage than that. We're not just talking about the here and the now of this earth, but we're talking about eternity. We're talking about forever in always extending line. That's a concept I've always had trouble getting my mind around. But this passage is, is more. It's 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That means that it's okay for us not to physically th see things. Anna Grace prayed that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that doesn't have to be physically, but that can be spiritually or in our heart, in our soul. We can see things, um, and they can be so good. Unseen things are eternal. That's a good thing. Paul David Tripp in his book Forever, which is a great read if y'all are looking for a good book, um, talks about seeing things from a spiritual perspective. And he says this, when you see things, you acknowledge their existence and then live in light of them. So when we see things, we acknowledge their existence and then we live in light of them. What we do with the Bible is we see what it says and then we try and live in light of that. The last time that John actually saw Jesus, he was either on a cross or sometime post-resurrection, maybe at the ascension when Jesus stood on the mountain and was raised up into heaven. But John is seeing 
his best friend, his mentor, his teacher. And that's what we should see when we look at Jesus, but we should also see the lion and the lamb. He is our strength when we need him to pick us up. And he's our lamb who's experienced all the things and can empathize with us because he's been through it all and so much more. John is seeing Jesus now in a different light, and he's seeing that from an eternal perspective. And what happens next in our passage is very important. Uh, the, the lamb, Jesus, takes the scroll that we talked about earlier, very important scroll, and immediately the throne room knows that Jesus is worthy to open it. That's what we sang about earlier. He is worthy. And this is what happened next. In verses 8 and 9, it says, They fell before the lamb and they sang a new song. That's something we haven't talked much about. Um, but if you read Revelation, there are so many song and hymn references that we sing today that come from this book. Because Revelation is all about worship. It's all about um, celebrating our God. But in this instance, something changed because they knew that they needed to sing a new song. This is new and different and awesome. What is different was that the scroll was about to be revealed to all of creation. We see in this passage that it goes from all the living creatures in heaven worshiping, and it goes worshiping God to myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Myriads and myriads means like hundreds of millions. I mean, that, that's just a concept that I can't wrap my mind around. It's just so many people. And then it goes even further than that. It goes to every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The worship is no longer confined to the throne room that we've been in for Revelation 4 and 5. But every creature on heaven, in heaven and on earth is worshiping our God, undoing the curse that was put on our earth when Adam and Eve sinned at the beginning. This is a moment that should not be overlooked. Our world will one day completely be free from sin and death and injustice. All of these things will be made right, and, and God as our creative. Our, our world will be as God created it in the beginning. And that's a, the journey that we're going to go on over the next few chapters, is we're going to watch that journey play out. And this seems like a, a concept that's almost unreachable because we can't even imagine what it would be like to be on earth where there is no more sin, there's no more sadness, but there will be, will be that day. Sometimes I think about life as a never-ending cycle that I just can't get out of. I think about the joys of this world, but then I also think about the hard times and I think about how it's a roller coaster of highs and lows. Um, and one thing that has been ingrained in my head, um, I watched a lot of it when I was in, in middle and high school, um, was, so let me set the scene. My parents would, they didn't care what we did in the mornings before school as long as we got up and were like ready to go to school. And so they were like, I don't care, Pete, if you want to get up at 5 a.m. and watch, watch TV, then that's fine as long as you're ready to go to school. And so I remember every single morning before school, I would get up and I'd watch, turn on ESPN and I'd watch Sports Center. Y'all don't, don't remember the OG Sports Center. Um, so OG Sports Center, at 5 a.m., they woke up and they filmed a one hour segment of Sports Center and then they replayed it from, six, from 5 a.m. until noon. It was the same exact thing over and over and over again. I loved it. There were days where I'd watch, watch it from 5 a.m. To, to noon, and it was the same exact thing. Um, but I remember SportsCenter played this one video that I always loved to watch. Um, 
because it showed the reactions of family members when loved ones or their mother or father came home from serving overseas in the military. And each of the family's reactions to their, their loved ones coming home are so genuine. They almost always did it in like a, a football stadium or um, a basketball arena, and they did it in a unique way. But every reaction was so unique. You would have little kids just saying daddy and being so overjoyed. People would break down crying. Others would just take off sprinting towards their loved ones. It, makes, it painted such a picture of what things will be like one day. That's the picture I got when I read this passage. They didn't care who was around them. When the angels and elders, when they heard this news that the scroll was going to be open, they fell down before the Lamb. All pain, all worries went away because the one who's supposed to be sitting on the throne is there and he's not going anywhere. Our temptation is to apply the sports center concept to God. And sports center concept, that's trademark, so y'all can't use that unless you use my name, obviously. Um, let me explain what I mean. But we know that in the video, most likely, the man or the woman is going to have to leave their family again and go on to another tour. We're right back where we started. It just replays the cycle. Once I watch the Sports Center episode the first time, it's just going to play the same thing, and it's going to get a little bit worse um, each time. And, but our tendency is to do the same thing with this passage, or even the Bible in general. We start to read it, and it begins to get old because we think we've already read it before. We've been there, God. It begins to lose its excitement. But that's the thing that's clear in this passage, is that there's no lack of excitement. After they sing the first song, the number grows, and they sing again, and they sing more songs, and they, the, they gather, and the crowd expands. There's no lack of excitement. Nothing is getting old, because he is worthy to open the scroll. So often, I'm expecting, I'm expecting to be my own savior. We think that, that we can fix the problem. If we do just a little bit more, we put a little bit more effort in, or we try just a little bit harder to avoid the temptation or the sin, then we'll, we'll be on God's good side. But that's not what it's all about. We see in this passage that there's an ultimate comfort in not having control. When we're able to say, God, please take this off of my plate because this situation is too hard for me to bear and too hard for me to tackle on my own, that's when we find true freedom. The story that I told in the beginning about the family who has a daughter with Franconi, anemia, the end of that story is that her father winds up being the one who's a match for her. And that's the news that the doctor wanted to share with her. What good news. Think about the unimaginable joy that he must have felt when he got that news. The father knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew, I, I don't care what it takes, just help my daughter. But like I said, without the surgeon, the good news would be useless. Without Jesus, there is no number of good works that we, will solve, we, we can do to solve the problem. But Jesus did give us another option, to fully put our trust in his hands. He's the one who willingly suffered and died for our sake. He went through it so that we have the chance at eternal life. Ephesians 1.5 says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God has adopted you and me as sons and daughters into his family. But the question is, are you willing to accept that invitation? 
Because as the song goes, um, we didn't sing the verse um, in, in He is Worthy, but it says, one of the verses says, does our God intend to dwell with us again? And the answer is, He does. Our God wants to dwell with us again. Whether it's in the throne room in heaven or whether it's on earth, we will be worshiping again with God one day if you are in Christ. God's plan is so much different than the outcome of this story that we see with the family. Because when we really dive into the story, this little girl, there's still so many things about her, her life that are still unfinished. The little girl, she's still suffering this, some of the impacts of the, the disease. The father wasn't a 100% match, so there's still going to be some complications. So as beautiful as that story is, and it, and it is beautiful, this girl's able to go to college and do some of the things um, that they always dreamed that she was able to do, but we're still living in a broken world, and nothing here will ever be completely fixed until Jesus comes and the scroll is open. Each of you have your own one in a million, one in 10,000 stories. Each person in this room is a miracle in your own way. But the story that has always been true and we can always count on is that, that God is writing that story. He is making that one in a million story. Not, not a one in a million, not a one in 10,000, not a one in 10, but a one of one. The odds of, of you being in Christ and of him having written your story are one in one. It's a 100% success rate. No matter how far you run from God, he will go searching for you. Our God is a 100% match, but he's also the great healer, the surgeon who has performed the procedure to save our lives through his death on a cross and through his resurrection three days later. We can stop searching for the cure to this world because our God is the Lion of Judah, the sacrificial lamb, who has defeated sin and death. So let's worship our King with forever in mind. We're going to do that through prayer, song, and fellowship um, with fellow believers as we end the night tonight. So let's pray.